in the deal. But you know what? He died to have you. He died to have me. Say that. Jesus died for me. Jesus died to have me. Jesus died to get me. I believe it. I commit my life to that. All I am, say it out loud, all I am is yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, y'all got saved. Let <laughs> me turn this down a little bit. You can sit down. Wow, that's what salvation is right there. That's what it is. It's just coming into that relationship of realizing that all that I have is worthless, but Jesus died, paid the ultimate price to obtain uh, what is in comparison to the value of Him to His life is worthless, but He paid the ultimate price. Is that... I mean, that just blows me away, okay? That the value was not anything intrinsic in me because in me is nothing good, all right? The value that God saw in me was only based on His love and affection for me. And that was demonstrated by Him paying the ultimate price to obtain me. To obtain you. Alright? It's like going to a garage sale and seeing some old, rusty, broken toy that has absolutely no value except maybe, just perhaps, it happened to be the same model of toy truck that you happened to was it was your favorite toy truck when you were a little boy. Or your favorite Barbie, maybe, if you were a little girl. And you hadn't seen one like it for 25, 30 years. Are you hearing me? It was your favorite video game. <laughs> Nintendo 64 video game. <laughs> and you hadn't seen one for years. And though the value was worthless, you'd pay anything to have it. Because to you, it's priceless. Are you hearing me? That's what you are to God. That is the gospel. That I am worthless, but Jesus paid the ultimate price to obtain me because He loves me. And that's what changed my life. And that's what's changed the course of human history was the message of the gospel. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Wow, sorry about that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> last week we began to talk about Ephesians chapter 4 and kind of a, a, a brief look at uh, 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 chapter 4, verse 1. Let me turn to it. How many were here last week? How many weren't here last week? Where were you? Ephesians, no, that's all right. <laughs> Ephesians 1, uh, 4, I'm sorry, 4 through um, verse 16, uh, actually through 23, I think we read. And I'm going to try to, uh, through 16. 
No, it's three twenty four. <clears throat> I have four pages of scrambled notes. And we talked about that there was two walks. At the beginning of the verse, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. That's that humility. Uh, 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 with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But later in the, in the chapter, in verse uh, 17, it uh, also uses this uh, same idea of walk. Uh, the, the beginning says, walk worthy of your calling. And then later he says, in verse 17, it says, Therefore I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling, they can't feel it anymore, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness, so you have not uh, learned Christ. So there's a, 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 there's a walk that's worthy and there's a walk that's futile. And I was thinking on the way in this morning that, you know, futility... Who wants to live a life that is just futile? You know what futile means? Empty, vain, worthless, meaningless. You know, and it's like everyone really is grasping to find a way to have meaning, all right? To have purpose, uh, you know, and, and, and you can do that through your job, through producing whatever you might produce, and you can do that in relationships. Some people maybe through excess of indulging pleasure. Uh, but all of it underneath, it's like, I want my life to mean something. And here this Bible is talking just about this. He says, you know what? Walk worthy of your calling and don't walk in futility, walking apart from God, alienated from the life of God, regardless of what vocation you have, what job you have, what, what you do for a living, how much money you make, all the stuff. And there's lots of stuff in the world. All that really is futile if you're separated, if you're alienated from God. Don't walk that way, but walk worthy. And I want to talk just for a few minutes about this word. Walk worthy of the call for which you were called or your calling. And you know what that word means? In the Greek, calling. It's your calling your calling. Adam! Shockley! <laughs> it also means, it literally means to call aloud. It means an out loud to, uh, to utter in a loud voice. Hey you! Herman! Ha <laughs> ha! You know, God called you. you if you, God called you. I'd like to say everybody by name. God called you. In the Spirit, in the Spirit, your name was uttered aloud by God Himself. Come! Come! Follow me! Don't walk in futility! Walk worthy. Follow me. 
Be my disciple. I will make you a fisher of men. Leave your worldly nets behind. Jesus is crying out. This is reverberating in the Spirit. If our ears were open to the Spirit realm, we would hear, I believe, each one of us would hear a calling from the mouth of God, from the heart of God, from the mind of God. And it would be, I mean, there's, there's callings upon nations, there's callings upon generations, there's callings upon specific groups and specific churches, but there's a calling upon you as an individual. All right? You are called. You are called. You have to embrace this truth. Okay? Well, I haven't heard my calling. That is a separate and distinct issue. Okay? You may or may not have heard your calling, but that does not mean that God has not called. Alright? Because the Bible said, says you are called. Jesus said many are called. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Whoever. So whoever responds to the call. Whoever hears. You've been called. But not everybody responds. You need to respond. You need to respond to the, you need to believe that there's a call. You need to hear that call. You need to seek. You need to ask. You need to knock on the door until you get a grasp of it. It's also, the word also means an invitation. You know, if you get an invitation to a wedding, word up. There's going to be a wedding in town. Everybody's invited. We're going to celebrate. Come. Sound familiar? Jesus told a story. Someone invited everyone to a feast. Nobody came. He said, okay, go out and invite somebody else. Find anybody in the highways and the byways. Because you know what the word says? He says he wants his house full. He wants his house full. So he'll take anybody off the street. Doesn't matter what your condition is. Because you've been called to a feast. It, it also means a divine invitation to embrace salvation of God. You have a divine invitation. What if you got an invitation from the president to attend a dinner at the White House? You know? Yeah. <clears throat> or an invitation from you know, somebody really famous and rich to come to a dinner party at their house. And this is special and you knew it was important. Well, you've been sent. The Bible says that there's a divine invitation. You need to open it and you need to respond to it. You could throw it away and despise it and lose the benefit of it. God is called. That is the truth. If you haven't heard it yet, seek. Ask. Don't give up. Believe. It's all there. It's written. Okay? Clark, a commentator, writes on this. He says, you know, the best trade... Again, this was written a little over 100 years ago, so the wording's a little different. If you listen close, you can get it. The best trade, unpracticed, will not support any person. The most pure and holy religion of the Lord Jesus, unapplied, will save no soul. Boom. Okay? The best trade, unpracticed. Oh, I have a degree in uh, biochemical engineering. 
Yeah, I got my doctorate in uh, intercellular uh, <laughs> intercellular chemical inductions. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, that sounds amazing. What do you do for a living? Uh, collect unemployment. <laughs> the best trade unpracticed will not support any man. The most pure and holy religion, oh, I know the Bible, forward and backward. I, you know, have you, talk, have you heard about this doctrinal debate or that doctrinal debate? Da-da-da-da-da-da, quote verses in Scripture will save no soul. Many suppose, because they have sound faith, that all is safe and well, and uh, well, as well might the mechanic who knows he has a good trade and that he understands the principles of it well, suppose it will maintain him, though he brings none of its principles into action by honest, assiduous, and well-directed labor. In other words, you may know how to take a car and put it back together, but just knowing that isn't going to make you a dollar unless you actually go out and fix broken cars. Right? Amen? You may know everything about the Bible. You may know everything about the, uh, the gospel. You know, may all kinds of stuff about Jesus Christ and salvation. But if you don't see it lived out and applied and worked out with labor into your life, same result. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> you have a calling. And so the point that we got to. Last week is that there's this futile walk with all this aki yucky stuff, and then there's this worthy walk that God has called us to. This is what we're really called to. And you know what? It doesn't happen automatically. If it happened automatically, if automatically, once you heard the truth of the message of the gospel and you stood up like you did a few minutes ago and accepted Jesus, you automatically were like pure and holy and, you know, perfect then Paul wouldn't have had to write this to the church. And I wouldn't be up here preaching it. Right? Okay? So the fact that in the Bible, there's an exhortation. Hey, walk worthy of your calling and don't walk in futility means that this is a struggle. Alright? Even once you believe that there's a calling. Even once you've heard the calling. I've heard God speak to me. To the point where I was like, I was scared. Terrified once. Surprised many times. Laughed a few times. You know, I've heard it in many different... Emotional responses, doesn't matter. Okay? Just because I've heard my call, and I know there's a calling, doesn't mean that there's still not the struggle. And there's not a need for the exhortation... Hey guys, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let me read this from uh, the, uh, uh, the same passage from the message. Sheba. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm not drunk, as you suppose. (laughs) I I got these points, and I'm like, I keep trying to get to them. I'm not going there. Okay. (laughs) 
All right, I already preached last week about the futile walk and the worthy walk. What bridges the gap? And this is what I want to get to. So I'm just going to change course here and, and get to it. <clears throat> we need the exhortation. We need the reminder. We need to hear the call. We need to believe the call. Paul's exhorting us to get a call. And, and, you know, the Bible's not put together on accident. It wasn't just thrown together. There's purpose in the way it's ordered. And, 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 and especially Paul, he writes very uh, uh, methodically. And he has very intricate, well-thought-out arguments uh, and um, logical paths that he's talking about. And this whole call to walk worthy, followed by this warning to not walk according to the world in futility is uh, in between the thing in between the two and linking the two is this passage verse seven through sixteen, which I'm going to read right now. Okay, so it calls you to walk worthy. Then it says, "But to each of you, but to each one of us, grace was given." Okay, each of you. So say to me, grace was given. That's true. It's already done. It's already happened. Okay. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay. How big was Christ's gift? How much? How much did he give a little bit of himself? All of himself. So that's the measure of grace given to you. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, there's a parenthetical phrase, nine and ten. It's very important. Um, uh, It has to do with who Christ is says now this he ascended what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascends far above the heavens that he might fill all things that's a little bit about Christ and the nature of Christ in verse 11 it says and he himself personally Jesus gave some to be apostles prophets evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up, everybody say, grow up, up. in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let me read this in the message, uh, newer translation, and there's one, one verse particularly that really helps me. Uh, in the message, same same verse, but radically different uh, wording. It says, but this doesn't mean that you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of generosity, grace, Christ of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty. <laughs> he handed it all out in gifts to the people. It's true, is it not, that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of the earth. And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth 
with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving. This is the one I like. Until we're all moving, pardon me, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful. Wow. Fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll, toler- we'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark, mark for imposters. <clears throat> God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy, in God, robust in love. So there's four things from this passage about church that I want to pull out that I think uh, kind of links this all together. <clears throat> links, uh, you know, the idea of a walking worthy of our calling versus the risk of walking in futility. The, 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 the promise or the hope of living a life that you can look back on and say, I did what I was called to do. I was faithful in what God commanded. Or looking back on life and saying, I tried. I should have. If only. You don't want to look back and go, what a waste. What a waste. They had so much, you know, at at your funeral. You don't want them to say, well, he had a lot of potential. It's too bad. No. You want him to say, he used every ounce of what he had for the kingdom. He invested it eternally. And we know with confidence he or she will have that eternal reward. He didn't waste his life. Didn't live in futility. What's the bridge? What separates a worthy walk from a futile walk? What bridges that? What instrument, process, or institution? What device, what strategy has God established to enable you to walk worthy of your calling and help you avoid walking in futility? Well, it's verses 7 through 16. Okay? It's everything that Paul talks about, and what he's talking about is the church. All right? The institution. You know that Jesus actually said that he said the only thing he said that he will build. He says, I will build my church. All right? And what has stood for thousands of years against the assault of the world from every imaginable source, economic, governmental, religious, you name it, yet stands and grows is the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? It'll prevail against what? The gates of hell itself. Alright? Because this is the instrument, this is the device, that this is the institution, this is the organization, this is the organism, whatever you want to call it, 
It's uh, the way it looks and the way it's shaped and the way it functions changes with culture and time, but the truths remain. There's four things I think that are important that I get out of this. One is grace. And I was thinking about this, that these are these four things are like sticking points. Uh, some people get stuck. All right. Some people are hindered by these, but they're really opportunities. Well, how can grace be a hindrance? Let me tell you, there's a lot of churches that need to learn a little bit about grace. All right. <laughs> Somebody, I forget who it is. I always talked about how Christians are just the meanest people they ever met. Uh, Mark Twain said, Oh God, save me from your followers. <laughs> By the way, I just saw, yeah, the, in the end of this month, and actually in about a week, there's going to be a movie released in the theaters by, with that title. And it's a documentary. Oh God, save me from your followers. And it's a real, apparently it's done by a Christian. I just saw an, a, an ad for it. But it's true. You know why? Because people lose touch of grace. And they get legalistic. Oh, you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you can't do this. No, if you do this, you're bad, 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 bad. Shame, 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 shame. And then you get right in this little tight little box. You know. Okay. Am I, am I okay now? Left, left little finger over oh, there. Okay, is that better? No, not, you can never. And that's the purpose of the law. Guess what? You can't live perfect, but you can live in grace. And it's given. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's freedom. Every morning, my sins are free. His mercies are new. So individuals as well as churches can get stuck on grace, get lost in legalism, bound up. Are they going to go to heaven? Yeah, probably. You know, but they live bound when Jesus calls us to live in grace. Gifts. Second thing is that he gives gifts. So there's grace and an emphasis on grace. Grace keeps you from futility, brings you into a, a walk that's worthy. There's gifts. How many like getting a gift? This is kind of fun. When you like giving gifts, that's what I like. All right, gifts. Okay, how can great gifts be a sticking point? Well, you know, does this gift still exist? Does that gift end? No, that gift ended. You know, really? That's funny. I do it every day. <laughs> you know, and there's a whole debate about different spiritual gifts. What's my gift? Uh, <clears throat> uh, take a gift, any gift. You can have a gift. Uh, I believe that gifts can be. Uh, that the, all of the gifts, all of the things that God provides and enables to uh, us to do in order to grow, in order to prosper, are vital element within the church. We need all of them. We don't just need the prophetic gift. We need gifts of mercy. We need gifts of service. We need uh, helps, okay, as well as apostles, all right? We need teachers. We need pastors. All the different gifts. We individuals, you need to find your gift and then you need to flow in that gift. If you don't, you'll 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 lean toward futility. The more you walk in and flow in your gift, the more you lean toward uh, a life of worthy. You see it? Okay. so it's churches as individuals. We need to flow into it and not get stuck Uh, and 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 avoid our gift or or gift envy, you know. 
boy, if I could prophesy like so-and-so, then I would be really spiritual. You know, that's gifting. I got a whole another, that's another whole series. So <laughs> next thing is government. And I'm not talking Democratic or Republic. Republicans or Democrats. I'm talking about the government, the structure, the order. Um, and in the church, it's not hierarchical based on uh, the, it's not like there are gifts or or positions that have a higher level of value <laughs> because we're all valued exactly the same. There happens to be a higher level of judgment. Okay? Don't desire to be a teacher because you'll be judged greater, more strictly. And teacher is considered one of the lower gifts. You want to function as an apostle? Then you better be ready for the fire. Okay? But talking about an apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers are the, what's called the fivefold ministry of the church, and they are given to equip who? The church, Christians. All right? To do, so that you can do what? What's the word in the Bible? So that you can do the works of ministry. Equip the church so that they can do the work of ministry. So who's supposed to do all the ministry in the church? You, not me. Now, I have to because I'm also a sheep. I'm a member of this church. I happen to be, I function as pastor, but I'm also just, so I have to do works. I have to go out and do ministry too, as a sheep, as a, just a regular Christian. But then I have this additional task of equipping you, okay, to do the work of ministry. Because if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done, baby. This is bottom line. So, uh, but government is a sticking point. You know, because government is that there is a structure and there is an order and there is a divine flow of authority that flows from the throne of God to his people. Not a not a flow of value, value and relationship. There is no intermediary between you and Christ, you and God, but the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So only your connection with God is Jesus Christ. Got it. All right. But authority and structure and order within the kingdom of God, there is a flow. God speaks to leaders and he tells leaders to lead people. All right. Now, you may be a leader in one aspect of your life and not in another. In the church, there are apostles. They have apostolic authority. There's prophets. There's evangelists. There's pastors. There's teachers. Okay. All these different levels and uh, we can get into all the details. It's a sticking point because some people reject authority. I was talking with someone <laughs> recently about uh, they were full-time counselors. He was a psychologist, licensed psychologist, practiced for his whole career and then retired and is now doing Christian ministry. And uh, <clears throat> she was a social worker. And I was like, you know, talking to him about the issue of pastoring and how some people have an issue with authority and so, since I'm a pastor, somehow I represent God to them. This is not you guys, of course. This is the other people. <laughs> and sometimes their issue with authority just automatically gets directed at me. Just because I'm a pastor. They're already mad at me. They don't even know it. All right? Because they're mad at the boss that they had. And they're mad at their dad. And they're ultimately mad at God. 
And God's the ultimate authority, so anyone in authority you're mad at. That's an issue with government. All right? But when we, when we understand proper government, and there's abuse of government, there's abuse of gifts, and there's abuse of grace. You can go uh, into uh, uh, licentiousness. But the proper use of both gives balance and enables you to, uh, of all three, uh, enables us to not live in futility, but live worthy. Glory. Did this just get turned back on or something? I don't know. <clears throat> Sounds the same? Wow. Last one is growth. It all leads to from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective witching by what working by which every part does its share causes growth. Everybody say growth. Growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I love my boys are in a, per, a wonderful stage of life. They're eight and ten, and like you can watch them grow. Like, wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watch him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never done it from the pole, but I don't think. <laughs> if I have a sport coat on, it works really good. I can do it better. Anyway. <laughs> Want to see my other useless talents? No. <laughs> useless talent show. Okay. <laughs> Growth is good. That was the point. I love it. I love it. I love it when William hops out of bed and he's like two inches taller. I'm like, Dad, my pants don't fit. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. They're growing. And that's what God sees his church. And there's growth. Some people have an issue. It's a sticking point. I don't want to grow any bigger. We like it the way it is. Or, or you know, uh, you know, Growth, it doesn't matter how big or small uh, you are as an individual, you are spiritually, emotionally, uh, economically, or a church, or a nation, or a business. It's just that God is into growth. I was thinking, everything that God makes grows and is alive. I was thinking, everything man makes is dead. You know? I thought, (laughs) this illustration... God makes horses. You put two horses, male and female, in a field. After a while, you have a whole bunch of horses. Right? You put two cars, maybe like a Volkswagen Beetle, pink, and a Hummer, in a field. After a while, you have rust. Right? God's method is growth. And all of this helps us individually. That's why I believe it's so important to be plugged in and knitted into a church that functions in all of these as best as we can. And, and there's many churches, 247 churches in our county. Most of them are good. They're serving God as best they can. And, 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 but you need to be plugged in so that you don't waste your life in futility and you fulfill that calling. And the way we do, one, one aspect, one way that we help enable this and structure this is the life group ministry, uh, which after service you can look over and sign up and get into a small group. It's good that you come and listen to me speak. It help, I like that. You know, it's fun. I have a lot of people here. But you need to be knit into relationship because it's in the whole body, joint, that every joint... And you know what a joint is? I saw a guy smoking a joint the other day. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am so sorry. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get, I'm late too. I'm over time. A joint is when two or more parts come together. You're not a joint unless you're connected with other people. You can get connected to the life groups. All right? Amen. Sarah's got some announcements. <laughs>